Uh, Luke, you know that one city? It's it's in America. It's on like it's in the northwest. It's very. I know exactly what city you're talking about. Yeah. Have you ever heard about how that city came to be named? I, I haven't heard about that. As much as I know exactly what city you're talking about and many things about it. Now, how did it get named? Well, uh, you have to understand that um, there's a very large like uh, ranching community there. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, definitely. Right? There, there are a lot of, you know, like steers and bovines and that kind of thing. Yeah, there are a lot of animal husbandry. And, and w- animal wifery as well. W- when people were referring to, to the shipments that they would send across. I'm sorry, I... <laughs> I have no idea where we're going from this. To be honest, Evan, to be real honest with you, man, I don't even know what city we're talking about. <laughs> I know where we're going, but I'm like, Evan, the longer you talk about this, the less it makes sense to you in your own head. <laughs> what, 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 what are we doing? What is going on, my friend? Well, um, one... Back in the day, around uh, around the time of its founding, this was the 1800s, and people did not have a lot of means of entertainment. There was no internet, there was no TV. They had to make their own fun. Mm. And one thing that they th- thought was very like cool and hip is like um, a fun way to like say words is we'll say like the first letter of the word and then the rest of it. Like for example, if you were in the 1800s, and Seattle's a very hip city, right? Okay, oh, yes, yes, Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, They'd be like, oh, hey, L-L-Ook. Uh, L-Ook. No, this is like my bad jokes where I give everyone a speech impediment at the beginning so I have a little bit more it's, wiggle room. It's not a speech impediment. <laughs> it's, it was a cool way to talk in the 1800s. It's, not, it's, it's a dialect, dude. <laughs> so, yeah, like I said. Fine, fine. Yeah, okay. That's, there were, that's a, there were a lot of cows, and they're like, oh, we should name this city after cows. And the way that you would refer to them would be Seattle because they're cattle, and that Seattle. is Seattle. Oh, I get it, Evan. I get it. That's so good. <laughs> well, with vowels, it really does not work nearly as well. No, it's just basically your name, Evan. Yeah, with the vowels, it, you're just you're literally just mispronouncing uh, things. Yeah. So that was that a whole joke. Seattle? Uh, Seattle is what I had in my mind. I didn't know how I wanted to get there, and so I just made it up as I went along. You know, I will say, just making that up as you went along, not bad. Thank you. Pretty good. Again, my my bad jokes are very involved. I give a lot of detail. I like it because it's so much misdirection. I can't see it coming at all. And I gotta say, I love the editing you do to my Luke's Finest that we've started releasing. All that to say, uh, this episode of Scooby Dudes and this episode of Scooby-Doo is called Seattle. Thank you for joining us for our Seattle episode of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> no, there's, it's not spooky Seattle. It's, you know, it's just, it's just Seattle. Uh, Frightened Hound meets Seattle Underground. Now, it's, it's a friend hound meets demons underground is the episode that we're doing today. Kind of a scary title. It, it's a very frightening title. Uh, but you know what? We are we are the Scooby Dudes. Yeah, I'm Luke. That's Evan right there. Um, excuse me. I'm L. Ook. <laughs> and of course, we've got E. Van over there. Yeah, we're, we're two best friends, and we're talking about our favorite meddling kids. And their dumb dog, too, named Scooby-Doo. Uh, and we're here to uh, recap an episode of Scooby-Doo for you. Uh, and talk about this really, this adventure mystery that happens in this very hip and happening city. Uh, but it's going to be quite a ride. I'm thrilled that we're going to get to dive into this. If anyone would care to watch the episode before we talk about it, Google it. 
G-Oogle it. G-Oogle it. Seattle. Uh, what would it be? S. Kooby Doo. S. Haggy. F. Red. <laughs> D. Afni and V. Elma. Say, yeah, D. Afni and V. Elma. D. Afni and V. Elma. <laughs> well, you've got D. Afni and V. Elma. <laughs> I, was that like a racist accent? I I don't know. But is it what race? That's the question. All right. Um, how long are these intros usually? Uh, shorter. <laughs> <laughs> Not this long. Two dudes talking about Scooby Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby Doo's. So, Evan, to kick off this episode, why don't we tell our listeners a little bit about what they can expect, maybe read them the synopsis, or at least the premise. Right. As we may or may not have said in the intro, uh, the episode we're doing today is A Frightened Hound Meets Demons Underground. Yes. It was originally the 10th episode of the Scooby-Doo slash Dino Mutt Hour, later repackaged as the 10th episode of the first season of the Scooby-Doo Show. And uh, what we're going to do is... uh, what we used to do way back in the day, we're going to try to bring it back. We're going to read the synopsis so that you have an idea of the episode Luke and I are going to be covering. Yep. And, uh, well, why don't you start out with IMDB? Can you read us that synopsis? That should be the gold standard. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's not bad. It actually, it's it's short and sweet because it covers both halves of the Scooby-Doo Dino Mutt Hour. But I'll just read the Scooby-Doo half. And that reads, Scooby and the gang solve the mystery of the red hissing demon menacing a Seattle construction site. I have on uh, the Scooby-Doo Wikia, the gang investigate the weird happenings of some ancient demons. They learn that the demons are after a talisman that will drive them back into the iron lid of an underground city where they belong. Wow. Yeah, that is elaborate. That's elaborate, yeah. And it's also wrong in that they don't drive anyone back into a lid. The lid covers something that they're driven back (laughs) into. Uh Um... Uh, Wikipedia's is probably the worst. Oh, lay this on me. I got here. Uh, and it is, while in Seattle, Daphne is captured by a steaming demon, and the gang must rescue her. <laughs> they got this steaming in there, which played a bigger role than you would have thought it would have played, but I don't know if we need to hear steaming in the synopsis. Yeah, also, like, and mild spoilers for the episode ahead, Daphne is captured for a grand total of what, like, a minute? Oh, like, a mi- if that, like, 45 seconds, barely. I was writing in my notes, like, oh, Daphne gets captured, and then I, like, crossed it out, because by the time I, like, finished writing it, she was already saved. Um, with all that said, this episode is dense as all get-out. Um, like, everybody was captured at some point. Not everybody was captured at some point. There's so much stuff going on, they really had no shortage of gags and... and, and hijinks. It's going to be a challenge to get through all of it. Uh, but we, we're going to do our level best. Um, so, yeah. I, I guess that I I think what you're hinting at is that we should just... I don't think we can afford to spend any more time on the synopsis of it. I, I do want to just take a moment because my biggest reaction for the first like three minutes of this episode was just to revel in the music of it. The early Scooby-Doo episodes to me have some of the most distinctive music of any animation I've ever seen. Um... And I realized this time, with a little bit of research, that the person I have to thank for that, that we all have to thank for it, is Hoyt Curtin. Um, <laughs> yeah, Hoyt Curtin. No, I'm not laughing at that. I was fully expecting you to say Jonathan Colton Berry. <laughs> I should have done that. 
who was also the the inventor of Scooby Doo. He, he Jonathan Colton Barry Hanna Barbera. Jonathan Colton Barberry. Okay, now I'm done with that. But no, Hoyt Curtin actually produced, he, he composed pretty much all of the music with some help for all of Hanna-Barbera's early productions. Uh, this included. And I'd really encourage everyone to go listen to some just tracks from the Scooby-Doo show or the original Scooby-Doo series. And Evan, I'd ask that you put something up on our website so folks can relive this kind of nostalgia. Um, I don't really know where I'm going with it, just to say I love, love, love the music in this episode. You know, that being said, I don't think we've ever covered the theme song to this show, which I sort of um, touched on a little bit before we started recording. A very little bit, so why don't we talk about that? It's different. It's different from the Scooby-Doo Where Are You. Um, mm. It is still kind of like, um, it's still upbeat, uh, and, and there's a, it's a woman's voice singing. Um, it's like, na 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 till the mystery is solved. And then Shaggy chimes in. Hang around for Scooby Doo. <laughs> and it's it's this really interesting duet. It's like a classic Scooby Doo theme song, and then Casey Kasem is Shaggy just speak singing along with it. Like oh, who who's that Star Trek actor who is a terrible speak singer? The guy, nobody. He he's like know, very what? like he has a lot of right wing political beliefs. William Shatner. Oh. William Shatner. Good old Billy Shat. <laughs> yeah. You like uh, that? Is that yeah, that's what you're going with? Billy Shats. Yeah, I like that, man. <laughs> I dig it. But no, that's how that's how Shaggy sings in this. Um he just he just talks. Kind of to a rhythm, if that. Hang around with Scooby Doo. It's just yeah. Yeah, so with regards to the theme song, um Casey Kasem is pulling an old Billy Shats. And, and just speak singing all of his lines along with the theme. It sounds really weird. Yeah, you know what? I didn't actually have that much to say about the theme song. It's mostly just that it's it's kind of weird to have Shaggy uh, provide a voice. But I think if this ever happens again, and I, I can't confirm or deny it either way. I might have mm. to put this in the corrections and whatnot. If this ever occurs again, it's always shaggy like i don't think like you could ne- you would never it would never be fred singing a part of the theme song well yeah like i've said before frank welker fred is my favorite voice presence on the show but i he's definitely not the biggest voice actor on the show when this is coming out frank welker is still a veteran voice actor but casey Kasem was hot stuff and i feel like they wanted to make use not only of his popularity on the show as shaggy but just on his fame outside of the show and include him in the theme song. It seems like that that was the obvious decision. And you you guys wouldn't believe what comes after the theme song. It was the episode. So we're already in uncharted territory. Um, the episode opens up on a construction site. Yes, it does. Um, and, you know, it, it is the daytime. Uh, and this guy is sort of, like, standing there. There's uh, there's a, a crane with, like, a... What is, it's, it's not rope, right? It's like steel cord or something. Yeah, exactly that. It's like a steel wire or like a metal wire and a girder hanging from yeah, it. Yeah, it's a girder. That's exactly right. And behind him materializes out of this puff of pink smoke. Uh, the man turns around and says, It's a demon! Now imagine that sound playing under basically this whole episode because that's the noise the demon makes at all times. Yeah, in between the steam and that, what is it? Is that like a whistling? Like a, like a shriek? It's like a, a shrieking? Um, it's like a hissing kind of sound. And the steam itself makes a bottom of the milkshake kind of sound. Like... <laughs> so like the, the, Happy Duck. 
Yeah, it kind of starts sounding like that. <laughs> the, the Foley work is is interesting in this episode. I was gonna say that between like the steam and the and the shrieking, um, half the time you're wondering if it if it's a demon or a uh, just a kettle, just a kettle that has been left on. <laughs> There's a lot of kitchen noises in this episode. Very true. Um, but yeah, this this bright red demon appears out of a puff of very pink smoke, very flamboyant smoke, and takes a swipe at this construction worker, but misses him because the construction worker manages to grab on the girder in time, swoops away. The demon does clip the girder. And what we can see is that the demon's claw, clawed hand, has, has left a mark on this on this girder, um, which means at least within the ep- within the world of Scooby Doo, within the universe that Scooby Doo exists and takes place in, we know for a fact um, that demon hands can melt steel beams. <laughs> How did I not see that coming? The demon does leave a a sizzling handprint, a steaming handprint, to give some credit to a premise that was otherwise poorly written. Um, and we cut from there to the gang. That's our opening. This demon is going to be our villain. Construction stuff is going to play a part. Um, but we need to get to the gang, who are, as the last episode we covered, because High Rise Hair Razor was the last one in this series we covered. Actually, and Jeepers, it's the Jaguaro, and the cat creature one. Yeah, uh, the cat creature being... Feline. Yeah, make a beeline away from that feline. One, perhaps my favorite episode we've covered just yet. <laughs> The only thing that was coming kind of to mind was like the cat's delight is quite a fright. We actually have not yet covered the cat's delight is quite a fright. Uh, not a bad like title, dude. I feel like you're a, you've become a good random Scooby Doo title generator just uh, we've, from our time. We've read so many of these. It's all blending together. Uh, this is one of those episodes that has a strong sense of setting in that it takes place in Seattle. And when we cut to the gang, they're actually eating in the... Uh, the Space Needle. The, the Sky... Wait, what were you going to say? The Sky one? Well, the name of the restaurant isn't Space Needle. It's a Sky something. Uh, but the, the Space Needle is the Seattle landmark in which they're, they're eating. Um, and that's where we open up. Obviously, Scooby is about to eat. The gang is reading a newspaper and talking about the case they're about to get into. It turns out that this demon... It's the fifth demon sighting this week. Um, and Scooby is sitting there... Uh, and and like this is this is a a very fancy restaurant. It is a tourist attraction, and Scooby has purchased what is already a very expensive dish. Scooby has paid like somewhere in the area of like a hundred and twenty five dollars for a lobster dinner. Yeah, he's gotten a lobster. It one hundred twenty five is that's a pretty accurate estimate. Which is a little weird, honestly, since the rest of the gang just got like burgers and fries. They got nothing, but Scooby he wanted the lobster. All, all I know about this is that Scooby is not paying. He has no pockets. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's why he always orders so much food. He always uh, leaves his wallet at home, and he always uses the same excuse. Um. I, what I wanted to latch onto here is that the lobster makes snapping noises with its claws that are the exact same as teeth chattering noises in the Scooby Doo universe. It's like, you know what I mean? Yes. Cha 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 cha. Like teeth sound, you know? <laughs> All right, fine. Um, we we cut from there because I'm not going to waste any time to Mr. Crenshaw's office. Um, and Mr. Crenshaw owns the construction company that's been terrorized by so many of these demons. Uh, what I, I do want to flip back very, very quickly and just point out the fact that... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Like, like I had mentioned, Fifth Demon Sighting, um, they say that, hey, we should investigate this underground demon. And then Shaggy, who does not want to hmm. investigate this underground demon, says, 
um, I'm not gonna do the voice. We can investigate as soon as we. Oh, sorry. Fred says we can investigate as soon as we're done eating, or someone like that. Yes, correct. Fred says we can investigate as soon as we finish lunch, and then Shaggy then tells everyone to eat slowly, which is the most pot calling the kettle black. <laughs> No, not even, right? I'm sorry. This is like the pot calling the fine china black sort of situation. This is like the pot calling... This is like the color black calling the kettle black. Like a paint swatch of black. Um, but we don't, we don't actually see what Shaggy eats. Maybe like that last pup name Scooby-Doo episode, Shaggy is footing the bill here and so he can't afford to feed himself. Call back to a very sad ending. <laughs> he, he got his friends yeah. to help him out. Like help him... Uh, Hey, hey, uh, Fred, Freddy, Daff, Daff, Velma? Velma? Like, can you help me move into my new apartment? And they said they would, and then they charged him for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no such thing as a favor in this game. Just friends helping friends for a price. There's no such thing as a free lunch in this world. Um, so we cut from there, when they do finish eating, to Mr. Crenshaw's office. Mr. Crenshaw owns the construction company that's been terrorized so often by these, uh, uh, these monsters, and we see that his office is covered in monster handprints. It's been ransacked. It's it's like they were looking for something. It's like they've turned uh, over every inch of this place um, because they they wanted to to find or locate some some object, which we find out is an ancient talisman. Hmm. And with that ancient talisman, as Mr. Crenshaw shows it to us, he also gives us a little bit of Seattle history that may or may not have much of a basis in reality. I like that Mr. Crenshaw frames the um, frames the talisman as, and I quote, an object that can be used to drive demons underground. <laughs> if you're underground with a demon, th this is no help to you whatsoever. <laughs> It's all—it's already there. There's nothing it's you can do. It's already there. But above ground with a demon, with a readily accessible path to the underground, heck yeah, that'll work. Uh, he gives us some backstory on Seattle, and I want to do one of my classic Luke Doty deep dives into a date to to explore the specific time period he cites. He says. Well, the, the story of these demons and this talisman goes back to the early days of Seattle, maybe back in the 1860s, um, and that's when the origin of these demons are. Now, let's, let's take a step into the real world, down real history lane. Seattle was incorporated as a township in 1865, immediately after or right when the Civil War ended. Um, so that's when this is taking place. And in the story that uh, Mr. Crenshaw tells us, right, right around this time, a demon started appearing from underground. Yeah, there was a hole. Um, there was a hole in, in the rock or something like that, and that's what the demons emerged out of. Yeah, now my question is, what do the demons symbolize here? Slavery has just been outlawed, and demons <laughs> are, are coming into this otherwise very white township. And as Mr. They're Crenshaw... driving down property prices. There, that's, that's almost exactly what he says. He says they're terrorizing the township um, with... Uh, until this talisman appeared and exerted black magic over the demons. What I think is incredible about this tale, there are two things. Um, the first of which, these demons, which which I guess I'll describe for our listeners. Oh yeah, let's get a description um, out there. They look like regular demons. You know, they have like bat wings. They have they have sort of like a a faded pink sort of bodies, pinkish red bodies, and then like and red, kind of furry too. Red bat wing flaps. And then have like and, uh, horns, and then like chokers and bracelets. 
Chokers and bracelets, but the chokers and bracelets, I think, are designed to, like, connect their wings up with their wrists and, like, back, top of the back of the neck. But animals don't need chokers and bracelets to hook their <laughs> wings up there, but it's built in. It's, and they, the, demon's mask, the demon's face, just to give you a little visual, looks a little bit like an oni mask to me, like a Japanese demon mask. Yeah, no, that's very accurate. Um, so that's what the demons look like. When, when Mr. Crenshaw is narrating the story, we do get a visual flashback to old-timey Seattle way back in the day. Yeah, we get not one but two watery flashbacks, by which I mean we have and the, the screen goes watery and we find ourselves back in Seattle. That happens once, then we cut back to Mr. Crenshaw, then we go back into the flashback again. Um, when this hole is opened up and this, this pink gaseous fog sort of comes out of it and the demons arise, the demons are not animated. So it makes them look like, and I wrote this down, what does it say here? It makes them look like velvet cutouts, like you would see in Sunday school. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Velvet. Is I it, think felt is the term uh, that comes to felt, mind. For sorry, me. they look like felt, felt Sunday school cutouts. That that was the entire vibe of this thing. Like I can imagine him sitting next to like a little. Like, <laughs> he has a felt board. He actually has a felt board where he's cut out demons and everything. And so here he is. He's just like lifting them up out of the cloud. Yeah. Um, now. I think our viewer's question at this point is, why does Mr. Crenshaw have this talisman that could drive the demons underground? Why isn't he using it? These are questions I would encourage you to stop asking, because there's no answers for them. <laughs> it, is, it is not revealed why he has this amulet. <laughs> it's not even revealed, really, why this am how this amulet p plays a pivotal part in the narrative. No, I mean, we see in the flashbacks some, like, sorcerer guy uses the amulet to drive the demons back underground, but... That's the last we see or hear of it. Uh, the other funny thing is that in in this little alternate history that Mr. Crenshaw has provided for us, apparently the demons plagued Seattle for years. Oh yeah, this was years. <laughs> it wasn't like it wasn't like a day or like a weekend or like a fortnight. Yeah. These demons were around for years just bothering people. You'd think we would have heard about it. Like, years of demon occupation of Seattle, Washington. Uh, but yeah, he this uh, we did not. mysterious gentleman with, he has, like, mutton chops and, like, a blue suit. He comes in, he uses his talisman. The demons, in, this, in the exact same way, they flew up out of the hole. They then retreat backwards into the hole. Um, As we said in the last episode, like a Macy's Day Parade balloon. They just statically sink back down. Uh, and the townspeople, they, they get an enormous iron lid, um, sort of like a, a submarine porthole or hatch, yeah. and, uh, and that's what holds them down. Yeah. So that we, we've got a little bit of backstory about our villains now. Now we need a clue to move us on to the next step. And what that is is a matchbox from a nearby bar or inn or something like that called the Crow's Nest. This is so ridiculous to me. I know this is actually a little bit of a contrast. I feel like oftentimes I'm trying to race ahead and you are like at forcing us to pull back. I'm, I keep pulling us back and this time it's the opposite. So what, what am I breezing past here, dude? I have a lot of fun little details. There's one I think is so-so. Oh. There's another one that I think is quite funny. Oh, please. Um, which is that uh, Mr. Crenshaw explains that his company was hired to develop a shopping center, which is what they're building at the top of the episode. Mm. Uh, and they found this lid above ground. Yeah, and and uh, and they pried oh, it open, yeah. and then the demons came out. And the funniest thing to me is that these demons, and there are so many of them in his story. They're like I don't know, like five or six, and they're not like menacing people. 
They're just touching everything. Oh my gosh, thank you. I can't believe I almost moved past that. The demons come up from underground, and you know, even if this is a villain, you'd think they would fake trying to attack people, but all these demons want to do is touch their hot little hands on everything <laughs> and make demon handprints. I can't tell, it's one of two things. Either they want to make a memory of how big their hand was at this age for when they get bigger um, to give to their parents, or they want to make turkey pictures, and this is the easiest way to start out. Uh, but it's it's bon all they're doing is just touching their hands on everything. It's not even real property they're damage. They're just burning marks onto stuff. And honestly, it makes the parallel that you were painting earlier very troublesome. What parallel was that again? Oh, 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 dang. Oh, dang. <laughs> like everything that they touch is, is ruined in some way, is marred. Yeah, and they just can't keep their claws off of anyway. <laughs> Um, anyway, um, we cut back to the present. Mr. Cren uh, the gang finds a matchbox that says the crow's nest on it. And Mr. Crenshaw says, oh, yeah, that's from just this, this bar in place down the street. And I think it's hilarious that it's like, M Mr. Crenshaw, w okay, hold on. Who caused this mess? It was demons, correct? Yeah. So the gang is surmising... That the demons were the ones who left this matchbook here. Yeah, there's a, this matchbook, it's all it's dropped by the demons. Mr. Crenshaw doesn't think for a moment, like, oh yeah, I work in a busy office with many people. One of them dropped that. Many of whom smoke. This is a, this is a construction site in the uh, 70s. A after all, yeah. No, he, he said, that must be the demons. Go check out uh, Crow's Nest. And... When we learn more about, like, at the end of the episode, there's going to be a whole lot of looking back and saying, what the heck, why Why did this path lead us here? I, I'm thrilled to get to that, and maybe that's why I'm rushing ahead so much. Um, but unless there's something else we want to touch on, let's go to the crow's nest. Yeah, it's, it's like an old, crappy, like, hotel dive next to the, uh, the waterfront, I guess, the docks. Yeah, it's a very, uh, very nautical-themed uh, bar. And, and as they're making their way to this establishment, establishment there is a truly bizarre visual gag that it's hard for me to even like it'd be hard for me to describe it's just so out of place and not even very funny oh my gosh that gag oh the, so that gag as they're on their way over to crow's nest makes no sense like it's completely separated from everything else it um the obvious comparison we have to make is to peter pan's shadows and antics in peter pan the animated movie and also in i guess every iteration of peter pan i get every iteration of peter pan <laughs> yeah. um, but but what you would think is it it's it's the classic scooby is at the back of the gang and he's in the rear um and he looks to the side and he sees a shadow and normally it would be the monsters creeping up on him because he's the one in the rear and he mm -hmm. is you know not with the rest of the group and he's the funniest one to see scared. Uh, but in this case, he looks over, and it's like all of a sudden, Scooby-Doo is a real dog who has no concept of what a shadow is. Yeah, just the very existence of a shadow scares him. And kind of like I said with Peter Pan, his shadow is separate from him. And he like runs one way, and his shadow goes the other way. His shadow's getting like beaten up by this other biggest amorphous blob shadow. Yeah, he, his shadow fights another shadow, and then and loses. loses. And then springs back to Scooby, and then we find out that the other shadow belonged to a rat. Yeah, which is just like menacing Scooby from a distance for no reason. It's not like Scooby stepped on this rat's cheese or something. This is just a... <laughs> which, as everyone knows, will will really... The worst thing you can do to a rat. The, the worst thing you can do to a Step rat. Step on his cheese. <laughs> 
I I once met a rat family, and because I'd known a lot of mice over the years, who who it's rude if you don't step on their cheese. <laughs> Those mice had a kink. Uh, dude. Well, that's like... that's mice culture for you. They're very they're very <laughs> open about their cheeses. Rats are not so much. Oh, cheese Louise. Cheese Louise. Oh boy. Um, but that that gag happens in a vacuum. It has nothing to do with anything else. So much of this episode, like I love this episode, but so much of it made no sense, and was completely disconnected from every other part of the episode. <laughs> this being one of those parts. Okay. We're at the crow's nest. We're at now. the crow's nest. Um, there is a woman behind the counter, and her name is I wrote this down, Captain Sally. Hmm. Uh, she explains like, yeah, I saw a demon around the corner, and she's so nonchalant about it. She's so just like Seattle, just. Full of demons. Well, you know, we were occupied by demons for two straight decades for a while back, so I'm not surprised. It, okay, it's such a dicey... Okay, I'm not sorry, we're not gonna run... We're, are we, can we stop? With... We've done the race joke. Let's let it sit. I regret it already. <laughs> let's let, let's not return to that parallel. So so they're in there. Captain Sally's sort of regaling them with what has happened recently. Uh, uh, presents come up, and, and Scooby and Shaggy see it, and they both cry out in unison, it's the demon. Uh, because, of course, we all know that um, demons look like large bearded men in sailor's caps and peacoats. Yeah, real salt-of-the-sea demons. Um, it's not a demon, it's Albert, who is, as Sally describes him, her star boarder. Um, which seems like it could be a nautical pun, starboard. And he's at a boarding house, and apparently... Oh, yeah, I yeah. didn't... That never occurred to me. That is very clever. It, what is not clever yeah. is his name. What's his last name? Albert... It's Tross. Albert Tross. Oh, my gosh. I didn't get that. I got starboarded, but I missed Albert Tross. You know what? We, we caught them all, so we are good. <laughs> okay, this is why we have two co-hosts. If anyone can tell us a third pun that we missed, you can become the third co-host of Scooby Dudes. That's... <laughs> Open qualifications. Some, o- open, uh, open applications. What happens next is so is also another weird. It's not as weird as this as the shadow gag, but it is also weird and bizarre in that the gang's like, all right, you know, what, we're gonna investigate the docks. We're gonna look for demons, mm-hmm. and they leave. And after they leave, Albert and Captain Sally look at each other, and they don't give like. Okay, I'm gonna bring it up as well because they make these faces. Well, they just they look at each other with this frozen conspiratorial kind of squint that's the best way i can think to describe it such that at this point in the episode <laughs> your, lo- your face <laughs> that's the look that's the look they were making <laughs> oh oh how how badly i wish we could we could speak your face into the into the audio of this episode <laughs> Because it's not just squinting and conspiratorial. It's like dumbly open mouth and witless. You know what? They actually, if they were drawn in a different style, they would both be... It looks like they're making fun of Popeye. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. Um, it's, like, it's like sailor face. Oh, boy. Okay. All right. Um, so that happens. Um, they, they split up because, you know, they're not looking for clues, actually. They're looking for demons. Um, and this yeah. is another bizarre... Can I describe this in, at length? It's so, this is another really weird, weirdly directed moment. 
because Shaggy and Scooby are, are running away from a demon, and what they've done is they've climbed into a crate that is on like a push cart, and and it's it's oh man, uh, it's built up a lot of speed, and the demon is behind them, um, and Shaggy and Scooby realize that they're actually heading towards the end of the dock. There's a ship on the other, there's a ship that's been docked, mm-hmm. and there's like a what is it called, a pl- a platform or a plank, plank? of right gangway there's a, yeah there's a gangway that has been um that has been dropped um and the camera mm. then takes the perspective of scooby and shaggy so we can see this gangway approaching and it and it's like rocking back and forth and then all of a sudden they're inside well all of a sudden we're looking at like this porthole or like hole that's filled with fish and we we think oh like oh this is fish maybe the size of my forearm it's just like a, a bunch of fish <laughs> regular sized fish and and Shaggy and Scooby each pop out of one of their mouths these are giant fish off of, these are like whales basically this is a Jonah story in Seattle <laughs> and and it's just it's directed so weirdly because it's like first they're first they're on the push cart tape um uh gathering speed then we see their perspective and then all of a sudden we see what is ostensibly I guess. A, a, an opening in the deck of the ship that they fill with fish. But we didn't even see him going in there. We just cut to the fish, and then we had a real big scale confusion thing with the size of the fish. I, I don't mean to belabor the point, but it is a very weirdly directed scene. It felt like they constructed it out of stills after the fact, after production had closed. <clears throat> so they, they return to the crow's nest, and Captain Sally say that the monsters have taken poor Albert. Oh, no. Albert has been kidnapped. We must go underground to find him again. Uh, I, I, I think it's Captain. Is it? Is it Crenshaw, Mister Crenshaw, who talks about the underground city? Is he the one who introduces the idea? Because I think no, he must, because that's what, how he explains them finding the lid again. Um, I think so. But actually, Velma seeds it in very early on when they're at the Space Needle. She says she's reading a newspaper and she says something about. Um, Old, new Seattle being built right on top of old Seattle after a fire in like 1890 or something like that. And I will say that I thought that they just made this up, but there's actually an underground Seattle. Mm-hmm. It's true. Uh, it, it's interesting how they sprinkle in real, like facts with just the fiction of this episode. Like, um, that, like for instance, Seattle was occupied by demons for like a few years there. And, but those demons were just people of color. So, like, it's a little bit of fiction with the fact... <laughs> you said we left that behind. <laughs> you said it so I, I explicitly, to, too. Man. I meant it at the time. Believe me. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, our, our old listeners will know we're not racist. Our new listeners need to know that we're not racist. I, yeah. So... But you're right. There, there are references made through a combination of Mr. Crenshaw and Velma and maybe even Sally earlier about there being a whole underground city, basically, an underground Seattle. And so they decide that that's where they need to go because this is where the demons have taken Albert Tross. Um, and they make note of the fact that one of the entrances to this underground city is in the basement of the crow's nest, but there are a lot of entrances. This is not suspicious in any way. True. A lot of different entrances, although the entrance here appears to be, like, the room is very, very dusty, but the door appears to be well dusted, which means somebody has been using it recently. I mean, if they use doors like I do, 
they dust the entirety of the door up to the door frame and leave that, and then they walk through the door. That's how I enter and exit all rooms. So now they're they're down in the underground city, and and from my understanding, just from looking at a few photos on Wikipedia, this underground city is maybe like has a ceiling of like ten. Not even 10 feet. It's got to be like 6 or 7 feet at max. It's more like the catacombs looking at the pictures I've seen than like an like an Atlantis underground city. Or as we've said before, Fifel, the secret of New York or whatever that is. Yeah, this is like a Peter fully Crack like was. subterranean city like beneath Seattle. Um, and, and so they're walking around. Shaggy and Scooby um, are walking backwards, which honestly they're ridiculed for, but seems like not a bad idea if you don't want people well, sneaking up on you. Yeah, it's, we don't want them to sneak up on us, so that's great. Which makes sense if the gang is covering your front. Which they're not. Well, Scooby and Shaggy back off of the the like the gang is no longer behind them now as they're walking backwards, and we know the demon is about to attack them because a puff of fabulous smoke engulfs them. So what Scooby does is he he sort of turns the upper the front half of his body around and grabs his tail and cranks it. Yeah, real jacks it. We've seen Shaggy do this once before to turn Scooby into a motorcycle, actually. In this was in Mystery Mask, Mis Masked Mix, Mystery Masked Mystery Mix Up. Yep, that's the one. Um, we see Shaggy do this to Scooby and then ride him off like a motorcycle. Here, Scooby does it to himself and then speeds off like a motor car carrier. Shaggy sees his friend disappearing into the distance. He lifts up his shirt. And there's a as if to crank something of his own. And there's there's a wooden handle where his belt buckle should be. He yanks it forward, and there's a string uh, going from his belt to this handle. And yeah. then um, he exclaims, "There's, there's a, a snake, snake in, in my boot!" <laughs> Were you really going for that? Yes. <laughs> I can't believe it. Oh, listeners, wow. we did not plan that. <laughs> no, that is incredible. I did not think even up to this moment where you went into that, that I didn't even think of that bit. Um, and I came really close to doing the water hole one. I, I, oh, so somebody's poisoned the, poison the water hole. <laughs> I love it. Oh, um, that is a fantastic comparison, my friend, uh, if I may say so, given that I also made it. Um, uh, but it is, but it is it not really, what happens. It doesn't make. It's not a speech prompt. It's an it's a like a motorboat engine starter. Uh, and his his um his legs likewise pinwheel and he zooms off. And let's just say that is the best case scenario of Shaggy lifting up his shirt to grab something to rev his engine. <laughs> That's as good as it gets. Oh man. Oh, oh sorry. Uh, they meet up with there is Oh sorry. Go ahead. They meet up with the gang. Um they're hiding from the demon cuz they've now gotten far away enough. And uh and Shaggy's like, shh, like, don't, don't, like, don't make any noise. And um, Scooby knocks over a barrel that has a bunch of glasses on it. Um, and he needs to catch them all. Or they'll shatter and catch the ghost's attention, or the demon's attention, excuse me. And so he, what he's doing is he catches, like, four glasses in one paw, the, his upper paws, his hand paws. Like, between each paw finger, amazingly. Uh, and then four in the other one. And then four on, like, one of his feet paws. And then, surprisingly, four on the other foot paw. I love this. Holding himself up by sheer force of will. And this is not to say levitating or just unaware of the ground underneath him like Wile E. Coyote might be. He's straining to keep himself up without touching the ground. Like, it's, we don't know what muscle he's flexing, but he's flexing it. Yeah, he knows. Like, he knows. And then Shaggy says, like, okay, the coast is clear. And he just falls flat on <laughs> yeah. his groin. And, and remarkably, doesn't break any of the glasses. Scooby-Doo could be an amazing waiter. 
an incredible bus boy. Yeah, look, look, he was he was really he was really exerting himself. Yeah. Um, and, and after that, they meet back up with the rest of the gang. And what does the rest of the gang do? I mean, I mean, they, after that, they go after they find the underground hatch where the demons presumably were locked, or one of the underground hatches, I guess, because this is different than the one we saw on the construction site. Yeah, it's weird. You. <laughs> You have to assume because th- these are all Mr. Crenshaw's um, flashbacks or stories that he embellished a little bit. Yeah, I mean the the demons didn't run around touching everything with their <laughs> smoky hands. Oh man, but but it does it does not appear to line up because when he found the lid, it was on the surface. It was on the surface world, and this lid is actually where it would make more sense. It's on uh, the surface of old Seattle. Which is, yeah, where they would have built it originally. The new surface doesn't really make sense, nor why they would have multiple hatches or lids. Whatever the case, we do find the lid, but we aren't able to open it. It appears to be locked. Uh, which they find weird, because if this is locked, where did the, where did the demons come from? They walk away, and it opens, and a demon comes out. <laughs> the demon comes out, so I guess it was locked this from the Fred, inside. We didn't think uh, of that. This Fred could not bench... 200 200 is it 250 pounds 220 i think or is it just 200 pounds hang on i need a i cannot let this go a moment past how much can fred jones bench wow you really think you're gonna get an answer with that 220 pounds 220 you're right yeah this fred this is fred before he started hitting the gym before he started drinking that protein before the shakes i don't like the way i said that um fred slurping that pro Excuse me, that sounds gross. Fred slurping that teen. <laughs> All right, enough. You're done. You. I, is there a third syllable you'd like me to use? I don't understand, Evan. <laughs> Let's go ahead and move on in the interest of time and my dignity to the next series of scenes. Um, we're going to now explore a little bit of underground Seattle going into multiple of the different shops that have been buried yet largely stayed intact yeah it's fascinating it's like it's like all of a sudden old seattle was was buried by stone buried like with a giant air bubble in between it and the stone because like you said there's like 20 feet of clearance to the the stone ceiling and these shops are all the inhabitants just left like they left everything behind yeah well we don't need a second roof over our roof let's get out of here uh because what, what they they walk into this one storefront um and it turns out to be what velma calls a house of horrors um because there's a um scooby and shaggy are scared by these werewolves that are menacing them velma walks up punches one in the gut feels the hard <laughs> impact and says these are stone statues she doesn't no, she doesn't do what a normal person would do and sort of rap on it with her knuckles. She she full on punches it. That's what I would have said is she rapped with her knuckles, but I would have been lying because you are right, Evan. She she goes up to suck to gut punch it. As if like if this is a real werewolf, I want him rolling on the ground in the fetal position. Oh man. And then she knees the other werewolf in the groin, <laughs> but both make a, a hollow sound, so no dice. Um a cloud appears behind them as they're sort of um accosting these inanimate objects and demon claws uh they shoot out of the pink cloud and grab daphne by the shoulders and her flesh immediately starts to blister it uh it starts to swell up he he, we do see her again later in the episode but she has like 
volleyballs attached to her shoulders where it swelled up and bubbled in- immensely. Ew. So gross. I, I'm sorry, man. How did you want me to heighten blistery shoulders? I thought, I thought we were... Okay, I was going to say... You thought we were done? She's been like... She's she's uh, she's been wrapped under so much like gauze and like bandages to the point that she looks like a like a college linebacker. Oh, nice, college linebacker with like two footballs on his shoulders, like blister okay. footballs. You, you, you're done again, Daphne. It for some reason the the demons their burning powers don't work on just normal people. Because she doesn't cry out and also mm. isn't burned, she's she's just grabbed into the cloud. Uh, Which, funny enough, we know she's okay being burned from our last episode of uh, Mysteries Incorporated, where she gave herself a <laughs> alligator skin, a faux alligator skin rope burn on her arm. Like she winces a little, uh, but not a lot. She's like she winces in an "I liked it" kind of way. <laughs> okay. We're moving on again. Like like a hot shower. Oh, okay. Um, so, what I think is funny is that they leave these burning footprints behind. Right, they make a point of saying, the demons must have taken her, look at these burned footprints. Mm. Fred then says, quick, let's split up and find her. Wait, yeah, why did he do that? <laughs> that makes no sense at all. Let's split up and only one of us follow the footprints. <laughs> we need at least three of us going where we know the demon isn't if we're going to save Daphne. Uh there's there's a fun little gag in which Scooby and Shaggy somehow get the um get the reel from a from a player piano attached to one of them. And so th- well, yeah, they go into a music shop to look for Daphne. That's where they go next. And like you said, the player piano uh, reel gets hooked on Scooby's collar. So as they're walking away, the music is playing, but when they stop, the music stops. And it's, you know, it's it's simple but it's fun. I like that gag because it's like every time they hear the music, they're like, oh, stop. I don't hear anything. Let's keep going. And then... Oh, also, really quick with that, the, the gag ends there with a very classic player piano gag. Um, Scooby gets rolled up into the player piano and gets spun around several times in it like a, a set of lines or a, like a, a draw curtain. Uh-huh. I, I like that gag. It was very pleasing, very classic. Yeah, it was good. It was solid. Um, they, they think a demon is coming. They hide inside the top of the piano... It turns out that that is where Daphne uh, has been stashed away. This, mm-hmm. this is like the Swiss cheese of like Scooby Doo episodes. It is like rife with holes. Like this entire plot. Again, if you're counting on us to uh, to wrap everything up very neatly to to tie all these loose ends together, stop counting on us for that. We can't. You can't even count on us to not do bits that we explicitly said we would not do. <laughs> Apparently not. Um, but because they sort of hear like. Mm-hmm. Which we, which we as um, viewers recognize as being Daphne's voice, they pull the sheet off of Daphne. She's not. Um, I was going to say muzzled, gagged. gagged. No, <laughs> she's not. No, that's right. She was just going in spite of the fact that it's just a loose sheet thrown over her. She's not even tied up. Um, Shaggy says, in response to her saying that they suffered in this piano, like, 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 what a dirty trick. But it could have been worse. He could have stuffed you in a harmonica, and. Honestly, he could have said anything. A lot of worse things could have happened to Daphne. The fact that she's alive... Virtually any instrument would have been worse, <laughs> except a piano. Yeah, because like, pretty a much every other instrument is smaller. I like to imagine, as that scene goes on, as they walk back to the rest of the group, Shaggy just keeps listing other things she could have been stuffed in. could have been stuffed inside of a tuba. Or a piccolo. 
There are so many <laughs> instruments, but the first thing that came to mind was triangle, and I was like, not. Oh man, I thought triangle possible. too. I was gonna say like a set of triangles. <laughs> oh. Okay, so so we're in we're then in a in an old apothecary, I guess, and there are bottles on a shelf. And Velma notices that a, lot, a bunch of them are dusty, and one is clean. Oh, Fred says, well, that's a great find. This must be a very special clue. Um, Velma picks it up and sniffs it, and we find that that jar is open, uh, is full of some sort of toxic-smelling pink liquid that turns into smoke when broken. Um, Daphne drops it accidentally, and then all of this smoke or fog or, or whatever pops up, and, and the demon appears in the midst of them, almost like it summoned him, which I think is interesting and something they don't touch on shaggy is you know how shaggy is always leaning on people with his elbow yeah that's kind of what it looks like, like whenever he's around anyone kind of like something you do with a friend who's shorter than you who you can like uh who you're like really close with physically he's just always doing that so he's doing that again this time uh but this time it's the demon and he he reaches over and he touches the demon's face and not content with what he's discovered there he then drags his palm even drags his palm over the demon's neck and then over his pecs. And, and the demon has pecs, if we hadn't mentioned it just now. Um, the, the demon um, makes the secret six look like... <laughs> um, shoot, what were they? Uh, the Towers of the Unknown, the Sea Devils... Oh yeah, the, he, he makes the, uh, the, the Sea Devils look like the secret six. Is that what I want to say? I don't know what I'm going for. Old episode reference. Um, the... No, no, I, I think I think you got the, it right. The demon is, is pretty jacked and also has like fur all over its body. So seeing Shaggy like, as you said, go from head to neck to like clavicle to peck, is an intimate little journey that his hand runs down the demon. Um, and then it's a chase scene. They they run away. Um, but what I think is is funny is that they run away immediately saying like, oh dang, we need the talisman. Oh yeah, they do say that, don't they? And and Luke, if you could remind me, what does the talisman do exactly? <laughs> well, it drives demons underground, so it's useless. <laughs> they they get back to Mr. Crenshaw's office, and um, there's graffiti everywhere. Banksy has been. <laughs> Banksy is trying to make a stand against the shopping center that was going to be erected, and he's he's uh, he's he's illustrated <gasps> some truly biting satire of uh, of capitalism of of corporate america of construction run amok and and mr crenshaw pulls out a different talisman used to drive un artists underground but the thing is with banksy he's already underground Man, that doesn't work you should you should just see the stuff it's like it's like ronald mcdonald right mm -hmm. but it's like he's been eating his own food so he's fat oh take that corporate america Eat it, the man. Oh wait, you already did. Now you're fat. Chuching. Or <laughs> you can tell we've been rounding out our uh, our radio noises. Boring. Yeah, we we don't need one of those soundboards. Like we are the soundboards. Um, sorry, so it's not Banksy. It's it's ostensibly the demons who have ransacked again Mr. Crenshaw's office. Wait, wait did this really happen? Do they really return to Mr. Um, Crenshaw's office? I freaking missed that, man. They definitely did. And they've left, they've scrawled in, like, all caps uh, messages that the gang reads aloud that say, Leave, do not follow, and also, 
He is ours. You will never see him again. Oh, man, you're right. He is ours, exclamation point, is so... <laughs> so, like, not even like he is gone. Like, you need everyone to know he's your... Like, you're a jealous girlfriend or something. <laughs> At this point, the gang is like, Oh, man, we ran all the way here to try to get the talisman. Mr. Crenshaw's been taken by demons. Let's run all the way back. And they do. Yep. Um, That's why I didn't think it happened. Because, it, I like, for some reason, I thought that happened in the underground area. Because why come all the way back out? And then go all the way back down. There's this weird thing. Okay, you know what? I'm not even going to cover it. Basically, they they get into this structure that is apparently a cable car roundhouse. Yeah. That was a good choice of place to skip. There's just too much that we can't cover realistically here. And we are long for time. We are. And there's so much more still to cover. We are like two-thirds of the way through, if that. Um, and like you said, it's a cable car roundhouse or like a cable car station. Uh, and and there's like um there's like sort of a board of controls, like a switchboard with a bunch of like and then like levers and stuff. And Velma says once more, "Oh, a lot of these look really dusty and old, but some of these look brand new." Making this like I would have loved it if Velma looks at someone and she's like, "Oh man, all of your clothes look really crappy and old, but your glasses." They look brand new. <laughs> oh, my my question here is, it, did cable cars exist in this old-timey Seattle in which, like, player pianos were a common thing? I, I think, yeah. I think... What's When exactly was this buried? I, I, I feel like cable cars must have been around since the 80s. Oh. But because, like, everything else oh. in this underground area looks like a spaghetti western prop town. But then cable cars. And when and when Mr. Crenshaw is sort of doing his um, his felt Bible story time, <laughs> Seattle's, uh, it yeah. looks like it's like homesteads. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. It looks like the old West. Um, and in these cable cars, there are U.S. mail bags, the type of which you'd see on like a train that went cross country. What? Yeah. There's so much blending of Americana here. I I don't know what to make of what. But we, we do have a cable car chase scene that ensues, just to cut right to the chase. Yeah, they, they pull a lever. Shaggy is, like, more excited. I mean, not more than I've ever seen him. But he's like, oh my gosh, a cable car. I've always wanted to be a cable car operator. And he runs onto it. And he's just, like, having the time of his life. And Scooby doesn't want to be left with the majority of the people, apparently. He leaves everyone else to join Shaggy. That's such an interesting... Like, we could talk a lot about just that moment of where... Does Scooby feel comfortable with Fred, Daphne, and Velma? Or is Shaggy, like, the social lubricant for Scooby and the group? Like, that's kind of what that implies. It, it looks like fear. It looks like Shaggy, like Scooby is afraid of being left alone. But it could also be FOMO. He might just be afraid that Shaggy's gonna have a good time without him. So, yeah. a lot. I mean, it turns out there's a demon on the cable car. Um, he, was, he was in the back. Like, he was way in the back so they couldn't see him. Um, because we all know that... Why did, why did he have to stay in the back, by the way? Why was he on the back of the cable car? Yeah, why did he have to go to the back of the cable car? I know, I can't tell if this is the joke you were doing, or... That was. It was, but now I've put myself as the guy who's yet again bringing it back up. Dang it, if I just let you finish... <laughs> yeah, this is like you. If I hadn't cut you off to be the bad guy myself, no, 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 hang! I want to be the bad guy. I was actually gonna do. Um, I was gonna do a callback to a bit that I've done on a past episode, oh, where yeah? um, I think Scooby sits in the back because he's a second-class citizen uh, of the Mystery Machine. That's true. He does. In, the, in early episodes, they all sit up front. They're all first-class citizens. Uh, so there's this. There's this whole thing 
Uh, there's just a lot of like fun visual gags, whatever happening. It looks like to me, this looks like a San Francisco gag with the trolley car running way downhill as Scooby Shaggy and the demon all run around it. And then it goes off the rails. Scooby Shaggy and the demon run all the way back uphill underground. Like they go uphill to get underground. I don't know how that happens, but it does lead us to the Scooby-Doo. Like a few, like a few bullets, um, just so listeners have somewhat of a snapshot. At what point there's the equivalent of a corridor scene but it's just the demon and Scooby and Shaggy running inside the cable car and on top of the cable car. Oh, that's right. That is kind of a corridor scene. And yeah, at, at some point, they leave the... This is bizarre. This is really very weird. They leave the underground city, and then they're out in the open, like you said, on this downhill slope outside with the grass and trees. Yep. And then they... Scooby and Shaggy run back uphill, presumably back into whatever it crashed back out Back into of. the underground city. Back into the underground. Like, they run uphill into a shed... And then, again, there's like 20 feet of clearance to cave ceiling ahead uh, above them. This Maybe this doesn't have the best sense of setting of any Scooby-Doo episode we've seen ever, but it does have a good Scooby-Doop, I think. And it, I feel like we have had a true drought of Scooby-Doops. Scooby oh, like, man. In, in, I think, the past, what, like four episodes almost, you and I have had to just supply our own Scooby-Doops for each episode. We have done that consistently. Here, it's great that we don't need to do that. And I think the Scooby-Doo that's done is, is a very classic one. It's very... It fits. Uh, for our listeners who don't know what a Scooby-Doo is... Oh, yeah! Do you... If you guys don't know what a Scooby-Doo is, it's a gag where typically Scooby and Shaggy will, um, almost like an improv, just start a scene with the villain and f kind of pressure the villain into playing along with that scene. The scenario will be so compelling, the social pressures will be so great... Uh, that the ghost, the ghoul, the demon in this case, will have no choice but to comply with them, uh, and after which they'll escape. Yeah, and in this case... In this case, Sha uh, Scooby, sorry, Shaggy's a director, and he's saying, well, it's about time you got here. Yeah, and he's wearing, he's got the pencil mustache, he's got the director's beret, he's got the director's chair, Scooby is his, uh, PA, or, uh, or holds a similar role, and they've already got, like, a, a shooting set set up uh he tells him to he tells the monster the demon to stand on an x uh which sort of um is where he is going to be acting that's that's the blocking basically for the demon uh and scooby yeah they, they use some actual terminology i think scooby is wardrobe he dresses the demon he's makeup and he's the cameraman uh and it's, it's fun i like it i like this it's so classic and it's just this kind of implicit change in the power dynamic where uh, the monster's chasing Scooby and Shaggy, but Shaggy just turning around and being like, hey, you're late. You've been holding up the whole scene. Come on, get on your mark. And let's, uh, come on, make up. Get, get on him. And it's kind of f flustering him and putting him on the back heel. And as I've said before, I love this because it shows that the villain, there is a person underneath this demon mask. And even outside of that, it's funny to see a demon acting like a person. It is, yeah, it's, it's fun because Shaggy's saying things like, okay, now hiss and roar. And then he's like, oh, more feeling. Like, I need more feeling. <laughs> I, love, I love that change in power. Um, the, the gag ends very strangely in that you can tell that Scooby and Shaggy uh, from the director's place are standing over a trap door held up by a rope. And when the scene is over, Shaggy says, all right, cut. And then Scooby cuts the rope and Scooby and Shaggy fall down the trap door. But it doesn't seem like they planned it. They don't react like that's what they meant to do. No, it... And it's weird because you would think that Shaggy would set it up so that when Scooby cuts the rope, a sandbag would fall on the monster. Or the monster would go down a trapdoor. Correct. Either of which would allow them to escape. 
but it seems like a complete accident. Yeah, I mean, the whole point of the Scooby-Doo beyond just playing for time is to create an exit strategy. Uh, so they, they slide down a chute, that takes them to the rest of the gang. That is the last note that I have. Okay, all right, so I guess I can sort of take it away. Please, man. <laughs> all right, so at this point, um, they're back in the museum with all of the scary monsters, uh, and, and apparently Fred says that, oh, actually, you know what, everything makes sense to me. And then Velma's like, yes, everything is sensical and logical. Shame on me for believing them, for, for watching that scene and thinking, all right, this is going to come together shortly. I was wrong. And here's what's incredible. Velma says, um, yeah, Fred, you're right, but what we need to do is we need to capture the leader of the demons. And I was not aware that a hierarchy had been established. There's no indication. Like We saw multiple demons at one point, and we've heard stories of many demons terrorizing uh, Seattle. There's no no power structure that we've been able to see at any point here. But what they're going, to, Fred's pl- Fred has a plan, as as he often does, a plan or a trap. And what hmm. he's going to do is he's going to take these statues, he's going to put them on the cable car system, and use them to scare the demon. Now, the, you know how cable cars work, right? Um, I, I, I'm embarrassed to say, not really. Okay, I also don't. Oh, thank goodness! I thought I was about to get a lecture here. I mean. I, I at least know this, in that the tracks are like train tracks, and the streetcar or the cable car um, moves itself using the cables, right? The tracks aren't moving... Yeah, like the cables offer the power. Yeah, exactly right. Oh, oh no, yeah. As you said, and, and this is... I do know that about cable cars, man, is that the car moves, the track is static. <laughs> yeah. The track isn't moving the car. If that's the baseline we're establishing, I'm there with the you. The car moves itself. Uh, so basically it works. They use Scooby and Shaggy as bait. The demon, uh, follows them. And then they've put, like, all of these various statues of ghosts and ghouls onto the tracks, which scare the demon. Yeah, the the monst- the werewolf and the other monsters in that horror shop they put onto the tracks. And they're having those spin around. And the demon, who presumably in real- in actuality stole the monster outfit from the same shop of horrors- is scared by the other things that were in that shop of horrors. Uh, they they scare it in the direction of the um, the lid, uh, and it the latch uh, whatever it goes down into the hole, and they're just like nice, we got them. And then they open it up, and then and there are mm-hmm. stairs that go down. And I don't know what they thought if they thought there was just a little like six foot hole like in holes. Fred opens it up and he's like he's gone. And then I'm like, wait, what? Is it just, yeah, like six empty yeah, feet? Did, did Stanley Yelnats yeah. take his shovel and dig a hole that is as deep as the shovel and as round as the... Uh... Exactly as wide. Did he expect to see the monster down there with a purple spotted lizard um, holding it hostage? I just like, what What does Fred think exactly? Like, how big did he think this because enclosure was? It, it's a winding spiral staircase that's in there. It's like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. I mean, is Fred the kind of person who opens a door to, like, a series of, ha- like, a hallway of corridors and be like, darn it, he's gone! There's nowhere, like, to shut the door and walk away. Explore, man. Fred thinks every doorway is a closet. Like, that's <laughs> that's his expectation. I-, I love that, and I would love to see that explored further. Um, we do go down that staircase, and at the bottom, pretty quickly, we run into Albert. Uh, yeah, it, it ends at a panel, and then they open up the panel, and they find themselves in Captain Sally's basement. Or the basement of the crow's nest. And who should they see before them but Albert Tross, who says 
that the demons have shanghaied him and they've rescued him. Yes, indeed. Um, and then somehow the scene turns. I don't, I don't quite have it. It should have turned the minute he said they rescued him because he should be in the underground city. Yeah, because obviously he can escape anytime he wants. It's like, oh, the monsters caught me, but they're not here right now, and I'm in Sally's basement, so I could go wherever, whenever I want. Yeah, Sally's basement is where you were taken from initially, more or less. Yeah, but um, oh, but but Fred initially is like, oh, thank goodness we've we found and rescued you, and Shaggy's and Scooby's like, oh yeah, and Scooby leans on a chest that's nearby. He's made of balsa wood. Balsa wood at best. <laughs> Styrofoam, perhaps, in the Scooby's paw just punches straight through. Um, Scooby's paw comes back out with a fist, with a paw full of gold coins. And and here's Albert Tross. I almost called him like Albert Batross. Albert Batross. <laughs> Albert Tross doesn't stay in character. He doesn't say, "Um, me doubloons." I mean, he's not a pirate. You're like, whose doubloons are those? Um, but he says, he gets upset, he's like, get away from that, and then he runs away. And then Fred says, just as I thought, it was Albert all along, and it's like, Fred, you just told us you weren't aware of that. You were just happy to see Albert and considered him a victim until Scooby stumbled onto the evidence we needed, and, and Albert gave himself away. They chase after him. And it's weird, because again, like, normally in a traditional Scooby-Doo episode, they set up a trap, the monster's trapped, they unmask him. In this case, they're looking for him in a basement, which is actually kind of scary. It kind of is, It feels like a Resident Evil game or something. (laughs) Yeah, the fixed camera angles from one shot to another did that a lot. And uh, Shaggy's Jill Valentine outfit. Also, Albert works for Umbrella Corp. Isn't, is it Albert? It's Alfred Wesker, right? Oh, you're right, yeah. It's not far away. Yeah, pretty close, pretty close, pretty close. Alfred Tross. Oh, um, that does sound it, like an evil organization guy name. It, it really does. Um, also, Umbrella Corp does not sound as evil as it should for the Resident Evil games. For how, like, truly, inherently, 100% everyone who works there is a villain evil Umbrella Corp is. Umbrella Corp just sounds like a corporation under which smaller, slightly less <laughs> evil companies operate. It's so literal. <laughs> Sorry, that's a long way to go for that. Who do you work for? Uh, Umbrella Corp. No, um, okay, I they, understand wa- that there's a hierarchy here and someone yeah. owns it all, but if you could tell me who you work for. I work for yeah, the like, Umbrella I, Corporation. Okay, but yeah, like, who's, who do, I get that they, they contract you, but who through? Yeah, who's, who's the, who's, because the, there's a big six, right? Yeah. It, the umbrella cor- is the umbrella corporation are who's on first <laughs> <laughs> clearly this has legs and sticking power um i i will say that they did have a chase scene uh, they did have a trap and that was the other monsters on tracks that led them into the basement so now we've kind of already had the trap that is true it, it is weird that we have a moment where we further need to catch albert they have to track him down um shaggy uh, goes around this pile of junk. Scooby goes over the top of it. Scooby knocks over the pile of junk. A barrel falls on Mr. Tross. Um, and and at this point, they've caught him. And I don't know why you wouldn't just think that Albert Tross was the demon and leave it at that. Yeah, why do... Because the gang then wants to demask Albert Tross... Um, and it doesn't seem to be because of his really obvious name being fake. 
it, it just seems like, ah, oh, well, he must. Who's who is Albert Tross? It's like why why not just Albert Tross? He is the villain. Yeah, he's the guy. That's it. But they pull off his mask, and it's um, it's Sam Crenshaw. Yeah, the construction foreman. And here's where Evan and I are going to have to take a little bit of time to try and figure out what the heck Mr. Crenshaw was thinking. I mean, the gang has their theory, but it left me severely wanting. You're better at summarizing things than I am. Would you mind telling us basically what Crenshaw's plan, at least as the gang sees it, was? And and I, I will explain, and as I go along, I will further delve into why it doesn't make any sense. Okay? So, um, he had this other alias, Albert Tross, because he wanted to be able to escape after committing his crime and not ha- be tied to his actual face and name, which I think is very clever. So Sam Crenshaw was acting as the demon, but was acting as Albert Tross acting as the demon. No, no, Albert Tross was just his getaway yeah, identity. Albert Tross was, no- was nothing, really. Albert Tross was just like, I want to leave as Albert Tross, not as Crenshaw. Crenshaw will ostensibly have been killed by the demons. Oh, but, the, but there is a second use for Albert Tross in that he needed to become Albert Tross to get into Sally's basement so he could access the but underground Sally, city. But him and Sally already have some kind of agreement because of their... because when they, they make the faces. Well, no, he... She, as Albert Tross, he has an agreement with Sally. But why couldn't he have that agreement with as uh, Mr. Crenshaw? I think what's implied there is that Albert Tross is a... Uh, is an old sea salt... He's uh, he's a sailor, and so he was able to win over a degree of trust with Sally that a the CEO of a construction firm could not. Um, it, it's explained that the red smoke was made using the medicine from the pharmacy, which makes sense. Um, but also that it allowed him to leave sizzling handprints, which makes less sense. Yeah, like it was it was some sort of extremely strong, fast-acting acid that did not affect or like a chemical costumes. reaction. Yeah. But that reacted to almost any surface, regardless of whether it was metal or wood. Mostly construction-related surfaces. So and and so he he stole the demon statues from the museum, but as Velma says earlier, these are stone statues. Um. So that can't have been where his costume. He had came to produce from. his own costume. His costume yeah. had to have been made from scratch. Um. He hooked. Okay. So he he takes demon statues and he hooks them up to the to the cable cars rails again to make them look like demons are running everywhere but i don't think there's a moment in the episode where there's more than one demon um only in the flashback do we see multiple demons and at one point and again that's just him at one point that's crenshaw the villain telling us something um we hear stories of multiple demons or multiple demon sightings that kind of make sense okay there must he must have been using this underground network and multiple statues to make it seem like there were more demons there is also just one point when the gang is being chased underground, when there are three demons okay, that chase okay. them. Okay, so that would be it. But also, that's only underground. There's no point at which he was above ground that he could have made it appear like there were more demons. And if we do assume that the demons happened as Mr. Crenshaw tells us they did, they floated up from a hatch. These are like stone statues that floated up from a hatch and then back down, I guess. I like to think that the hatch opened up, he used the medicine to create a lot of pink smoke. He then bodily lugged up two statues. And weekend at Bernie'd them both? <laughs> <laughs> well, he had to. There's, there's no that's way that's the it. only explanation. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's Occam's razor. There the we are. The much easier explanation 
is that Captain Sally was one of the other demons. And that makes no sense to me why they don't just say, like, oh, Captain Sally was also one of the demons. Like, that's... Why the gang doesn't at least suspect that Captain is beyond Captain Sally me. is in on it, too. And as far as we know, she is not caught by the other She of got away scot-free. And I think that's... Oh, and the whole reason um, Albert slash Sam Crenshaw did this was because he wanted to get this treasure that was hidden underground. But is that a crime? Okay, so yeah. Now, I think that's everything That's everything we know about why this went down, right? We don't get any more information than that. Uh, right, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, let's start breaking this down because there are some inconsistencies here. First of all, is it illegal to loot this underground uh, city? And if even if it is illegal, how would it be traced back to Albert in the first place such that he would need to abandon his identity? Right, they haven't framed the underground city as like a tourist attraction that a lot of people are going to, which is very um, typical for, for Scooby-Doo, that like they want to scare people away so that they can do their dirty work without being observed. Yeah, it doesn't even seem like the world at large is aware of this treasure being down there, is aware of this whole world being down there. So it doesn't seem like Crenshaw needed any kind of ruse, not even the, the demons, um, to, to get down there and to, to make it back up. It makes a little bit of sense that he would have to impersonate a someone that Sally would trust in order to get into Sally's basement and then into the underground world. But why not just abandon Albert Tross and get away as himself or keep living his life? Why abandon his real identity and then go live as a fake guy who is the guy who Sally would actually remember took like was in the basement all the time? Also, the problem with him having two alias two aliases, I guess, or two identities. Hmm. Um, and then being like, oh, I'm actually Albert Tross, like, Crenshaw's gone, is that he had both of his identities abducted by demons. The bigger question, I think the biggest question of all is, why be the demons in the first place? What use at all? Any remote function that they served, I am open to hearing, but I can't imagine it, man. Like, all he did was hurt his own business. (laughs) That's all he did was, like, damage his own construction, like, sites. I can just imagine him in his own office, like, flipping the desk and, like, tearing, like, records out of the drawers and the shelves and just being like, yeah, this is, this is a good plan. And, like, I'll tell people it was the demons and that I, for some reason, have the one talisman that can send them back underground, but I haven't used it yet somehow. Um, and I'm also going to fake being a guy who can go underground and steal this thing nobody is aware is being stolen. Then I'm going to abandon my identity as a successful construction CEO um, so that I can live out the rest of my days as Albert Tross, man who has a little bit of gold. Can you, can you imagine a single one of his friends or coworkers walking into that office and being like, Ah, this is... Is this Mr. Crenshaw's handwriting? Did he write... He is ours, and you will never see him again? <laughs> like, yeah, man. I, I wrote the letter he sent to that, uh, that rival construction company we headhunted from about the new administrative assistant we got. He said, he is ours, you will never see him again, and it matches this exactly. Uh, overall, I have to say, I think this is the most ill-conceived plan we've ever seen in Scooby-Doo. And we've seen some bad ones. We've seen some real lemons. Yeah, none of it makes sense. It's like, and again, you can't, you can't just put a statue on tracks and then control it. Like, that's not how this works. Yeah, no. 
Uh, here's one thing that I think probably happened is that um, Albert, Mr. Crenshaw really, went around telling everyone this fake history of demons in Seattle to seed the ground for this. This is this heist has been two years in the works. First, with seeding the ground, telling everyone the fake history of Seattle. Second, befriending Sally, who, again, cites Albert as her star boarder. They were lovers. They were lovers. Let's be honest here. He just had to go so far. Oh, my God. It's such an elaborate, unnecessary ruse. I feel bad for Mr. Crenshaw. And if he had done... If he had not done... I feel bad for him, too. If he had not done almost any one of the things he did, he would have gotten away completely free. This is the kind of thing where becoming the demons scared no one off. There was no one to be scared off. It only attracted attention. I guess that's really all I've got. I just got to the end of this episode and just could not figure out what brought us there. I... I don't know why I thought this was going to be a breeze. I don't know why I thought we were going to be able to skim through this. When there's... When we skipped over a lot, we skipped over the chase scene completely. We didn't even do a Scooby-Doo a piece, which is what we've done, I think, since borderline the beginning of our podcast. Um, it's just so many gags that have nothing to do with anything, uh, like the rat's shadow gag. And granted, I... The shadow gag was terrible. It was terrible. It teaches us, I mean, maybe a little something about rat culture, you know, don't step on the cheese. I... I, I don't know why you find that funny, but I'm happy. I don't think I deserved anything for that. It's, just, it's so absurd. It's like you would you should never step on food regardless of the species of your uh, of your host. I don't know, like as a as a Caucasian male when I welcome people into my home, I like to set out a few slices of Wonder Bread to to let them step on. And then I eat that bread and that's how I get news of the outside world. <laughs> So, and I, I, before we get into the outro, I want to tell you a little bit about this awesome YouTube clip I just saw in which uh, Sandor Clegane is doing this MMA fight with, uh, with this other major MMA fighter. Okay. During the fight, they're, they're actually, they're not using boxing gloves. They just have their hands inside of hams. So they're just like boxing each other with these lunch meats. And um, oh, it's, it's such a great video. I'm trying to remember the name of the other fighter. It was uh, it was Demons Underground. Was the name of the other fighter? He was a sweet. He was a, some European fighter. The, the, the name of the YouTube clip to search was a fighting hound meets <laughs> Demons Underground. <laughs> I. I'd had all of those pieces when we were doing the intro, but I was like, what do I do with Demons Underground? <laughs> that could be a name. That could be a name. I have none of your storytelling flair to help the, the listener get lost in the weeds. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All I'd say, I am glad we started out with yours. <laughs> oh, I'm crying. I did not deserve that kind of reaction, but thank you. <laughs> thank you all for joining us for that episode. Uh, uh, yeah, thank you so much. Um, you you made it through the episode. Well, really, you made it through the intro. 
the whole episode, <laughs> and then that portion of the outro. They, they deserve three pieces of credit for the intro, for the episode, and then for that piece of the outro. For the rest of the outro, it's going to be pretty listenable, so kick back and enjoy. Yeah, we're just going to run through really, really quick uh, social media. Uh, hit us up, follow us. Uh, so if you go to Facebook, just facebook.com slash scoobydudes. Uh, I'm going to be throwing up some fan art, some memes, some other stuff. I don't know. It's, it'll be good. I, I try to post something every weekday. So, yeah, facebook.com slash scoobydudes. Uh, Twitter, we are the Scooby Dudes on Twitter. Um, where else? This is one of our favorite places to experience our podcast. And, and understandably, you're probably listening to this uh, on a commute. Maybe you're jogging. Uh, but, you know, on like a handheld mobile device or something. But if you go to ScoobyDudes.com, mm. you can listen to the episodes there. And you can also um, check out show notes that I've put together with, that are timestamped if you're ever wondering about references. Uh, and then there's some screenshots. Yeah. If you if you ever feel like you're missing out on a little bit of trivia for an episode that you really liked, please go to ScoobyDudes.com and check out the episode specifically. We also have corrections there to correct anything we got wrong in the episode. I love the art. I love the screenshots. Just ScoobyDudes.com. Check it out. Um, also, probably one way that you listen to this is via iTunes, if you're an Apple-going uh, listener. And we would love it if you would write us a review on iTunes. Five stars in a review means that Evan will read whatever you write on the air in the pod. And I will say right now, people have used this for evil. <laughs> I think they've used it for good. For for, e- for, e- for, like, for like objective, I know some people are just like, oh, like there's no good or bad, but like this was like an objectively evil thing that I was asked to do, and I had no choice. Look, I'm a nihilist. I think there is no absolute good or evil, but I think there is unquestionable, universal, empirical good that has been done with iTunes reviews. So leave us a five-star review. I'll have to read it. Them's the rules. Other places you can follow up with us, mention Twitter, Facebook, ScoobyDudes.com, iTunes, Patreon. you got to visit us on Patreon if you want to get additional Scooby Dudes-related content. You know what's really surprising to me, actually? What? Is how you've never put together a bad joke about Patreon. That's like three... Those are like three regular English words. Patreon? Wait, no, Patreon? Wait, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, ooh... Mm. Another time. <laughs> I don't have the time. What for. I, what I love is that you're like um you're like a freestyle rapper. <laughs> really? You you you're sitting this there. This is praise you're, I don't you're deserve. Weaving, oh, I I'm not praising you. <laughs> oh, no, dang it. <laughs> I can just see you you you're like you're like putting the words together. You're like, "Oh, this is is this the best combination? Is this way to break it apart?" <laughs> and and then you know like and then you have to like you jump into it you have like your flow there's no beat but like you know there's there's a there's a rhythm to what you're doing it's like it's like seeing marshall mathers take the stage and like kind of you know like working his shoulders he's getting worked up and he puts the mic to his mouth and then vomits on the mic um but patreon.com help the small time artists that you love achieve their big time dreams by giving us just a small monthly donation and in return we'll give you additional scooby dudes related content on the reggie yeah uh my goal is for at least a certain tier, for there to be three, a minimum three updates a week. Uh, yeah, because we want, you know, we want people to get what it is that they've paid for. I want your money, frankly. That's what I want. And if 
content gets you to donate, then yeah, fine, we'll give you some content. But give us your money. Give us your money. It's something I haven't done in a while. Patreon.com slash Scooby Dudes. Not only will we give you regular content, we will give you a shout out the first time that you donate, and every time after that, every single episode, we shout out our beloved donors. Look, I'm going to put some people on blast. A lot of podcasts use Patreon. For monetary support. Yeah. For financial oh, support. Almost everybody uses Patreon to, for, yeah, if you're, if you're podcasting. On. And look, there's no other podcast on the internet who takes the time to say the name of each and every one of their donors. No one else does it. No. N- nobody would do that. It, it would take too much time every week. But you know what? You're worth it, beloved donors. We're always talking about you guys anyways. Even if we yeah. have 200 donors, 200 donors, we would still say their names Every single. Hey, that just means we're saying two hundred names every single episode. If we had two thousand, two million donors, does that change anything? Yeah, yeah, it would. Actually. Only the amount of names that we're saying. Yeah, it changes a lot of things, but <laughs> we, we still do it. Two million donors, and they each gave us a dollar. Actually, Evan, I do have some exciting news for you. That we've added on almost two million new donors. Granted, they're all me, but but. But Patreon has changed how they're giving donate, how they're passing money on to creators. So I'm losing slightly less money now. Actually, I'm losing the same amount of money. It just comes out of my pocket first no way later. You can afford to donate two million dollars. <laughs> if I donated two million dollars to my own to us via Patreon, I would lose like ten thousand dollars minimum. A hundred thousand probably. You don't have two million dollars. Okay, to start man. With. Okay. Enough. Sorry, sorry. I, I'm really, I'm, I'm really calling you out there. You really are, man. I really wanted people to think I had two sweet little mills. <laughs> mm, not how rich people actually talk about their money. <laughs> I'm like at the millionaire office, millionaire convention. Oh man, I just made two sweet little mills the other day. <laughs> In the stro- stock trade arena. Oh man, the laughing stock of the millionaire convention. That's what you would be. Oh man, they call it Milcon. Ah, <laughs> uh, not uh, to be not to be confused with Milfcon. Um, we should probably say those names. Yeah. Thank you to these beloved donors for yet another week's patronage. Yeah. Outside of that, well, we just really want to encourage you guys to come back next week for next week's episode. Yeah. Um. And, and here's the thing. Uh, Luke and I love doing the recaps. We think they're great. We love doing all of these episodes. Mm-hmm. But if you ever have any feedback, if you want to hear more of something that you've enjoyed, let us know. We already told you how to get in touch with us. Uh, one last additional way, Podcast at gmail.com. Yes. Anyone who emails us there knows that they will get a response someday. And so you can email us there, too, and give us feedback. We genuinely do take it to heart. And we got some great positive feedback on our creative writer's room episode where we discussed our way to creating a theoretical Scooby-Doo episode. So we're definitely going to be returning to that because we know you'll like it. Yeah, so probably sometime in 2018, uh, we'll we'll start turning those out. I mean, I had a great time doing them. Uh, uh, probably, honestly, one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. Go back and listen to that if you, uh, if you can. Mm, so please give us that feedback. Follow us on social meds. Uh, help me become a straight-up millionaire by donating to us on Patreon. And above all, I love you listeners, just not as much as I love you, Evan. Uh, so- sorry, what? <laughs> I, uh, I love our listeners, that's all. <laughs> just love them listeners. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so Christ. <laughs>
<laughs> Granted, I love that. I think that's a hilarious dynamic. <laughs> that's right. Darn right you love your listeners. Oh, boy. Okay, all right. Um, uh, I love you, Evan. What? <laughs> so, no, no, oh, no, I'm sorry. No. I said I was just watching this video uh, in which the uh, Van Shoes is coming out with an electronic version of their product. And and they're building it in with the sequel to that movie that starred Paul Rudd. It's called I Love You, E-Van. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> God.